Welcome to the Just Larson Show on Innovation and Leadership. Today we've got Amit Sankaran. Amit, thanks for doing this. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So uh, tell us about the religion of sport. Religion of sports is a uh, content company for media business. Uh, we create content of all different types. Primarily, it's been unencrypted, so documentary style following athletes, following teams, following leagues, and so forth. Um, focus on the sports area. Um, our differentiation, our point of view has always been answering the question kind of why sports matter. What's one of the deeper hidden meanings behind sports? Why do we put our kids in this, in these activities and what do you learn from them? You can apply to life. So can you tell us a little bit about, uh, your co-founders and about, uh, sounds like you guys have raised a lot of money. Like things are going great. Yeah, that things are, things are fun. Uh, we're in the right market and I think we have the right team. So our co-founders are Tom Brady, Michael Strahan and Gotham Chopra, uh, Tom and Michael, of course, have day jobs, but they're all on the board and very active. Uh, and then Gotham is very much my partner in crime. And uh, uh, I, I run the business. Gotham runs everything creative. And we're, you know, very focused on this. We've yeah been around for about five and a half, six years. We started with sort of an idea. Gotham's been a filmmaker for 20 plus years. His dad is Deepak Chopra. So he's grown up in the world of spirituality. He almost talked about similarities that he felt as a sports fan between what his dad talked about and what he felt in the fan as a fan or as a, you know, playing high school basketball and so forth in sports. So you can kind of feel and live that. And for any of us who played or sure have kids kind of get it. Um, and over the last few years, we started with that, with one show called religion of sports, which actually profiled around the world, you know, free diving or, um, uh, uh, the Celtic Ranger rivalry in, in, um, in Scotland and how a proxy for religion basically, and all these places where sports basically, you know, people do these things where, where sports basically are religion. They're, they're not just like it. They're, they are religion. And so that it's grown from there and has, has scaled to, you know, us creating, you know, right now, I think we have 15 projects in production and a bunch of others development uh, across many networks and around the world. It's been, been a lot of fun. I want to talk about Tom Brady and all the cool things you made, but I want to talk about you for a bit. So this seems like an awesome thing to be a CEO of. How did this come about? So, you know, I've been a, I've been a business person, business builder, business consultant for many years. I've been, I started in early 2000s software company, then went into supply chain consulting, then went, got my MBA at Columbia. Actually, 20 years ago there, um, I met Gotham casually just as a friend. We never had an intention to really work together or anything. Um, I spent eight years at the Boston Consulting Group where I worked in both Dallas and in India you know, working with different businesses. And one of the biggest, and, and you as a management consultant know this, biggest things you pick up is just get dropped into scenarios and you figure out um, how to add value quickly. What, what is the challenge? Where's the most pronounced need? And how do I apply something that I've done in the past to accelerate success? And that sort of was the thing that kept me very engaged and interested in that business. But over time, I also found a passion to do things um, that created change faster with smaller organizations, um, and so entrepreneur, the entrepreneurial life really appealed. I went to join a family office where we would invest in and buy businesses of smaller, smaller scale, five to 50 million or so, um, and did that a few times. And then, you know, Gosselin and I reconnected, he had, he had set up the show religion of sports and we just started sitting down regularly and sketching out what could this thing be? How, how could we, you know, get Tom and Michael to be co-founders. How could, how could it scale in this market? Where's the real differentiation? And that's, that's sort of how it started and it's, it's scaled over time. For anybody who has been living under a rock and doesn't understand the power of 
Tom Brady and Michael Statham. Can you give people like a little bit of the taste of like how much that does for you to have people like that on the team? Yeah. So Tom, you know, Tom's the, the interesting thing about both of them is you know, Strahan has been, is probably the most um, well-known athlete after his career. So being, having the biggest success between, um, uh, between both his, 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 his uh, work at Fox and so forth, but then GMA and being a host and having that amount of time. Now he's, he has so many jobs, hundred thousand dollar beer event, um, uh, GMA, Fox, and so many other things. And so he's been sort of the persona and all athletes now look up to him and ask him, how do I break into media? How do I think about business? You know, as his other, he has another business called SPAC, which he, which he's successful around. So there's a lot of things he's done. Um, and so he brings a great balance to the team, which is not just about, Hey, how do I open doors to other athletes? But it almost more so, how do I connect you with CMOs? How do I help you think about, um, you know, getting you on GMA, like all kinds of things that he's got great access to and great credibility around. Um, and then Tom is, Tom is the GOAT, right? He's, he's been, uh, he's won seven Super Bowls and all those kinds of things. But I think being someone now who's similar age to Gotham and I in his mid forties, who's, who's able to, um, reflect on not just the next week in football, but his own brand, his own legacy. He's not only got this business, but he's got one in the NFT space called autograph. He's got his Brady brand. He's got TB 12. He's got other things that he's building. And so those are all great entrepreneurs in their own right, people that we've gotten to know really well around him in his life. And so again, he's in the board meeting. He talks from a place of like leadership and what does he do on the field and how does it apply to our, our business? But a lot of the connections also beyond that, and that's super helpful, but beyond that are around, um, uh, you know, just great, great ways to accelerate our business in ways to your point we could do on our own, uh, uh, or it takes a long time to do on our own. How many years has Michael been on Good Morning America? It's uh, a good question. I think at least five, maybe seven. I don't know. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. And then, and then, talk about Gotham and and growing up with his dad and being around both spirituality and also, uh, you know, the media business and and the way his dad's been able to get the message out. What kind of advantages you feel like that's brought? Yeah, I think for him, what he talks a lot about is there was never a question early in his career when he picked this career creative path of dealing with celebrity. I mean, he's grown up around people like Oprah Winfrey and Michael Jackson and so many others. So there's, there's never, there's never a question of could he, uh, communicate and, and was he comfortable in those scenarios? It was always a question of what is he? like, what, what's his, what's his creative tape? What's his point of view? Is that distinct? And it took him a while to get to that journey. And for him, what he would say is the biggest moment was in, I think it was 2014 or 15 when he was working with Kobe Bryant. And so he got the opportunity after meeting Kobe and getting so a bit, Kobe got hurt and they, they reconnected and Kobe said, oh, that doc you've been talking about for a while, let's do that now. And there was a two year period where basically, you know, he feels like he would describe it as his skills, his creative skills and his ability to kind of interact with kind of big, sometimes difficult personalities were at sort of, um, uh, their, their fullest. And, and he was able to bring that to life with that doc with Muse and I think that it's been a little bit, I mean, it's, nothing's ever quick and easy, but it's, um, but it's, it's been more downhill because the credibility sort of builds on one another. There's probably about a million people that would like to be partners with, with your partners. So, uh, I'm interested those conversations that you and Gotham have, of how to approach Tom and Michael, you know, like my experience, um, 
kind of working with ultra high net worth or, and some celebrities, especially my, with my partner, Lindsay Halley, we've done work together. Um, I feel like a lot of them get approached like a walking ATM machine, like people objectify them. And it's just, what about, what can I get from you? And, and so they, they get skeptical and there's, you know, there's layers to get to them. And they've, they've heard a lot of big promises before from people who want to use them, you know? Um, when, when you guys were, were strategizing, like the what's in it for them factor and the, you know, how to treat them like a real life human being, what were those conversations like for you and Gotham? Yeah, I think, I think the, the main thing has been um, uh, early on was around, this isn't about your business. This isn't about, um, uh, you know, you, 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 us trying to build something on the back of your brand. This is about storytelling. This is about religion of sports. Again, it, it goes back to the mission. It's about um, changing lives through sports and sports stories. And you know, who better than two people have spent um, the better half of their lives in and on the field or around the field, at least, um, to help be part of that. And, you know, they immediately bought in because of both that mission but also using creativity at the center of it. I, I, I give a lot of credit to Gotham around uh, being able to, to stand on his own and say, there's just like you two on the football field uh, and for Michael both on and then out in the media arena, you know, I am in Gotham's words, you know, the best at what I do from a creative point of view. And I think that being able to say that, make that statement, but also blend that creativity with a, it's not just about you, it's about impact and it's about a long-term you know, and, and that's where, where I think a lot of what I brought was, is this isn't about, you know, 12 months from now, this is about five, 10, 15 years with the entity, the brand that I think we can build and the media company we can create. I think those factors mattered a lot. And then I think it all also, as you know, it also comes down to relationships. Is this someone that you want to spend time in the boardroom with? I mean, to your point, they have a lot of opportunities. Their, their biggest, just like a lot of us, but for them, I feel like it's even more pronounced, their biggest commodity is time. And so where do they want to spend that time? Who do they want to spend it with? And do they find that enjoyable or not? And I think uh, that relationship building was a big part of it early as well. Why do you think storytelling is so magnetic? Guys who, who have all sorts of offers, could do whatever they want, are choosing to be in the storytelling business with you. Yeah, and by the way, it's not just us, right? If you look across the landscape now, uh, I think what you're describing is what you see. You see other athletes, you see other entertainers, you see... People both, and whether that's in terms of telling their story first person on a social media platform, see influencers, of course. And so I think, I think at a category, if you read early books, and by the way, this is like how I'm getting inside of, of our culture, right? What we try to drive with our culture is what are we that's different? Why are we different from anything else that's out there? How does a piece of religion sports content stand out? How is that sticking different? And what we talk a lot about is, you know, exactly that storytelling. What is storytelling? Why is storytelling? Um, unique. How, how does it, if you look, go back to the early parts of humanity, how has that uh, been the thing that allowed us as a species to, to, to survive and then for leaders to emerge? Um, and then how does that in this world where things are a lot more democratized, where information is democratized, where everything is more transparent than it was before, how do we lead into that and make it an advantage? And I, I think that, that that's a lot of where we, you know, get, our team takes a lot of creative pride is what does it mean to be a good storyteller? How do you let a subject, when you talk about athletes, for example, be who they are, be authentic, but bring the right scale and the right 
backstory without story context. So a lot of that is, is what's really exciting. And frankly, wh where we continue to lean in, others may lean in, uh, to, uh, uh, bringing in more and more celebrities. Others may lean into, um, attaching more of our businesses are from the very beginning differentiation has been around great storytellers. And so with capital we raise and so forth, it's been about how do we attach the best, best creatives in the business to the company and in as many ways as we can. How much have you guys raised total now? Uh, 66 million. Actually, I want to talk about that. Mm -hmm. You know, so the show, we have a lot of like, we have a lot of entrepreneurs and investment fund managers and our listeners kind of are a little similar to our guests a lot. And fundraising is something of never ending intrigue, you know? So, you know, I think some people from the outside could be like, oh, it must have been easy to raise money. You have such big names. But then I, I know the other world of like, people can get really skeptical about fundraising with celebrities involved because there are so many horror stories of like, supposedly the celebrities attached, but they didn't really care about it. And the money went in, but then the results didn't show up. And like, it's not just a shoe in, in my observations of, of people more in your space. Um, can you talk about, you know, principles of fundraising that you felt like were effective for you? Yeah, sure. I, I'd even start before even the, um, it, what's effective of, of just saying, you know, why raise money? And I, I think, you know, as someone who has written checks on the other side, and then who has thought about this from a, from a long-term perspective, we, we started really slow and, um, we spent over a year before we raised a dollar and even that the first check was, was 3 million. It was purposefully smaller than it could have been for a lot of reasons. And I think it's a lot for us around what does the other side look like? What, what, what are we raising this money to accomplish? And then being very transparent with ourselves of what does it obligate us to go do? And each time, I think those are big questions that we all asked ourselves, the boardroom and the table and so forth, because, you know, seen many, many tales of, you know, people who've done all the things you just mentioned, which is we're su super successful on fundraising principles and getting something done. And then upside down in terms of, oh, well, didn't have the business read up, set up to succeed, or maybe it's something for investors and not founders or management and so forth. And, and you know, all those things can happen. So I think that's the first set of questions I would say you know, we asked ourselves, and I would always ask myself in any situation, why are we doing this? And what's it, what's it mean? And are we ready to go make that happen? And we feel like that's the right outcome. I think um, to your point, early on, a lot of it was a conversation around because we didn't have as much credibility in the market. We had a few shows out, but a lot of it was how are our co-founders and in particular, you know, there was a conversation around Gotham, but then in particular, Tom and Michael, how are they going to contribute? Where are they going to bring things to the table? And that became you know, something they had to, they had to say in their own words and commit to, um, and, and, and be authentic around, you know, no, I'm not going to be the ones who are in the edit room for, or, or day-to-day -day management meetings, but if you need a call, if you need me to produce content you know, and so forth. And, you know, Tom versus time was one of our first big successes. And that was, I think, right when, or right in concurrent with, or, or, or right before, or after our, our first check. And so, you know, the money was there and, um, and, and Tom in that case had delivered as well. And so, and then as we evolved, it became less candidly about the co-founders and a lot more, and we just raised a $50 million round earlier this year, a lot more about the credibility of the business and what had the business set up for for us as a platform for other creators and for other stories and where could that go and it was it became very uh it, very important for us to articulate what that vision was and and why you know capital would help accelerate it 
and that became you know just getting more and more precise around that became the the, the real skill and 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 how to how to ensure everyone's on the same page after the check was written. Yeah, well, you guys run five Emmys, is that right? Uh, I believe so. Yes. Yeah. So, when you think about getting everybody on the same page and and that precision and execution, it I mean, to do that at the level to have won five Emmys already. What do you think that you guys are doing that not everybody, not every other media company is doing that, that isn't seeing those type of rewards you're seeing? Yeah, I, I think, again, everybody kind of has different priorities and, and goals. And, and there, there's some media companies out there that are about audience. And audience has been very, very valuable from an enterprise value perspective over the years. I mean, look at, don't look no further than Barstool or a ringer in, in the sports world, right? Barstool is able to sell to a, to, to a big um uh, a betting property and and launch an app and that audience is worth a lot. Um, that doesn't mean that they've prioritized nor maybe should they storytelling and 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 what they're trying to drive towards. Similarly, you know the Ringers created massive audience. Bill Simmons has been amazing and that team's been amazing to scale and it's helped Spotify and create a huge amount in the audio version. So for us, though, from the very beginning, the intention has been what's the brand and how do we storytelling to elevate that brand. And the way we know how to do it best is through what we call kind of premium unscripted or these longer form docu-style shows. And so then when it became clear that's our focus, for us, it was how do we be the absolute best at that? How can we be pushing the boundaries at, you know, whether it's Tom versus Time or Steph versus the Game of Steph Curry or, or, or Man of the Arena or, or all these docs or these projects we're working on, how do we push the level? And so for that, our creative team gets a challenge to get invigorated by it and um, whether that's you know, integrating graphics, thinking about new formats, um, uh, finding new characters to to bring in, and do things in ways that are just a little bit innovative. And, and now we've gotten to this rhythm with early success, where our network partners, so our customers, are are, are places like ESPN or Showtime or Netflix or um, uh, Amazon and others. Those partners will come to us with ideas. But then we will actually have this two-way conversation of how do we level that idea up? How do we make it better? They know something through their algorithm that will work on their platform. How can we enhance that? And, and that's a fun place to be. And I think that distinction, going back to your question or point or comment, I think that distinction of being able to lean into that, know what we're good at and articulate that to the world, have the evidence, right, with awards or with audience, and then be able to, to do invest, in, invest behind and do more of it. It's been exciting. When you think about building trust on Netflix, you know, all these names that you've just said, mm -hmm. um, in your mind, if you had to synthesize it, if you had to do it over again, or if you had to advise somebody who, who, who wants to follow in your footsteps, when you think about what you have to do to build that kind of trust where they're calling you, um, what, what are those elements to you? That's a really good question because I think it depends on who it is. And, um, but, but if, but if I were advising or you're ta talking about this again, I think the, Number one thing is deliver, right? It's it's set a right set of expectations when you have the opportunity and knock them down and exceed them. And and I think that comes in a qualitative way in the creative space, a little bit of like, you'll know when you see it, it's going to be great, uh, but it also has to be great in everyone's mind when it's there. And then very quantitative, just you know, simple things, you know, not exceeding budgets, um, keeping people, making it feel like a comfortable process. So I think that whole thing of when you get the opportunity, delivering and delivering in every dimension is super important. I think, um, again, going back to relationships, one of the things that we've found we've really excelled at is building great relationships. And that doesn't just mean 
you know, it extends in many ways. You, you asked a question earlier about with our co-founders. I think we've done it there, but I think even with our customers, it's, it's some of it's, it's, you could say it's a great relationship if we deliver, but some of it's also along the way, it's gotta be fun. It's gotta be, um, exciting for them. It's gotta be a team where they're at the end of it, their team looks back and says, that was just, that was amazing. That was so, uh, great. Not like everything again is going to go. It's production, which is like many other industries, right? You're going to have a, all these hit hiccups along the way. All these unexpected things happen. COVID, all of our projects were delayed for nine months or something. I mean, all these things happen. But um, during it all, being able to say, you know, this was a partner that, you know, understood where we were coming from, the issues we were dealing with, and was a pleasure to work with. I think that's, that's really important. And it's, and it's to that point on trust, it's the long game. We're, Gotham and I are always thinking about you know, three, five, 10 years ahead with this. We don't know how the industry is going to evolve. We don't know where people land. People move different places all the time. Um, so it's about building kind of relationships and thinking about it for the real long haul. And sometimes that means sacrificing things in the near term. We'll do it. What's, what's an example of something that would be sacrificed in order to build relationships? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think that it depends. <laughs> you give lots of different examples. I'll give one in, um, in um in covid right uh everybody was was cutting and and networks and we our customers at the time were facebook nbc uh amazon um espn i think we're, we're all working with all of them and they all everybody dealt with this like how do we deal with what's going to happen how long are we going to shut down but practically we cannot have people around subjects so we have to stop this thing and so some you know so some people went down that path of saying, okay, well, we're going to you know, pick up a force majeure clause and start to create lawsuits and noise and so forth. And our team was just, what well, we took the stance of, look, we, we know this is, we don't know where the world's going, but we know this is our business. This is our lot. And these are our customers. We need to be supportive. And so if it meant that we had to keep people on our staff longer and eat costs, we did that. So we did that with several, several of the projects. If it meant that some of the contracts had to be completely ripped up because um, stuff had to be just put on pause because they needed internal support at some of those customers to happen. We did that, so we did that in one instance. So it's just a matter of, I think, recognizing we're at a critical moment. And, and by the way, it's not just COVID where that stuff type of stuff has happened, but to use those examples, those, those happened there for sure. And then yeah, as things restarted and as things grew, for some of those customers, it turned into really great decisions um, and important, important things to do. I love those examples. That idea of like treating someone on the other end of the transaction like a real life human being, like putting ourselves in their shoes of like, what do I wish somebody would do for me right now? Because I'm in a, between a rock and a hard place. Like, aren't those the things that like pay dividends for like decades to come? And like, especially like, you know, if we can do it consistently as a leader, if we can build a culture that that is thinking that way for our customers in general, like, isn't that a high likelihood for a word of mouth referral? For like your reputation is going to get around either way. Yeah. I mean, look, you know I mean, I'll build on that one further, which is we hired um, a, a head of uh, development um, who started, happened to start, I think, in April of 2020 or something. And the conversation had been going on for six months. And he came actually saying, Hey, I, I expect that, you know, there might be some delay or let's have a conversation. And Gotham and I talked about it for a long time. We, we this person we knew for, for many years. And we said, No, this, you're starting. Um, we're honoring the commitment. And we think it's critical to, but, but here's how that, here's how things are shifting. Here's our priorities are shifting and new goals we have. And, you know, to your point on credibility, that person's recruited probably 10 more people over the last 
three years. And I think it's turned into a massive win um, because, you know, we bet on what we thought was the right person. And, we, and, and you know, in a moment that was important, we kind of tried to live by our values. And I think that, to your point, that's really, really important and I think pays dividends in many ways. Um, I want to go back to another concept, um, kind of back to this gaining trust or building relationships. Before you guys had won five Emmys, before you were who you are now, can you talk about um, just things that helped you earn trust from these these athletes and these folks that were going to be in the early productions before before you had the reputation that you do now? And just um, what you feel like was effective at that time to get them to take a risk on you? Yeah, there's probably two answers to that. There's one that uh, frankly predates me, which is Gotham talking to Tom and Michael and getting them aboard to be executive producers of the show, Religion of Sports. And I think a lot of that came from Gotham's individual body of work, um, but being able to articulate in a very clear way to them how uh, the show itself was going to empower others and how they you know, could contribute to that without necessarily having to be subjects in that case, right? And I think, I think that that was part of it. Um, but then I, I, you know, the one that I would talk about a lot more is as we were starting to scale or starting the business, one of the things that you find out in this space is um, a lot of the people that matter around athletes are the people, um, uh, like their managers, their agents, people that they've grown up with. And uh, what we figured out, Gotham I figured out pretty early on is uh, a lot. It's th this is a new topic for a lot of athletes and a topic they're very interested in. So to whatever degree we can spend more time um, uh, educating, talking about our experiences with those people, it helps you as a team become more instantiated and be more credible with that group. And so there were a lot of conversations, especially I would say 18, 19, 20, we were having with athlete teams. And that doesn't mean the athlete and him or herself, it was managers, the agents and others of just like, how do you think about, if you want to make this a business, what would you do? If you want to create something in the branded side, how would that work? Or if you want to do something as a co-production with us, what would it look like? All those things um, and what we learned from, we just tried to share as much as we could. Because again, it goes back to like, no one's worried about, we're not worried about others copying. As, as long as we can feel like we have some version of our competitive advantage, which is creativity and a group that that is part of our our core that um, that we can build around. So so it worked. I think I think that was really helpful. You know, a, a little tiny version of that. I think about when we were running a, our last private equity fund, uh, candidates like for like really high paying jobs, like hundreds of thousands of dollar a year jobs, right? I don't think many of them realize like how much weight we put on uh, our secretary's opinion of what were they like when they were waiting for the interview? Like were they, you know, like what were they like when we weren't in the room and they weren't on stage, you know? And like, um, you think about these people, like we'll have, we'll have like really senior CEOs on the show and like their admin has been with them for like 20 plus years. She's like a member of the family. You know what I mean? Like, like it, it, you, you probably can't overestimate how much influence she has in what's going on and how much access you're going to get to them or not. And yet from the outside, as you were like, if you just look, look at names and titles on a list, you like everyone knows you should be nice to everybody. But I do think people underestimate just how much of a team effort this is for those big, big personalities. Right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, m most of the, um, especially some of the newer athletes who are, who have been drafted in the last say five years, uh, because a lot of their 
because they're so young. I mean, relative to me, I guess they're in their twenties and so forth, early twenties. And, and they, they've basically grown up with social media. And so a lot of their people who are on their team, and that extends from now agents to managers to production media, um, have been their childhood friends. And so they are kind of like family. And so you find out that there's no version of saying it's going to happen without them. So it's, it's, it's about how do you incorporate, um, everyone into the right conversation. And to your point, yeah, you're always thinking about all of that together. Okay. So can you give us some examples of helping the rest of the team feel important as well, instead of just feeling like the, uh, the entourage? <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. We, we, there, there was, I can't, I won't name the athlete, but, but we, we were, we had a, um, I remember spending an extra three hours with that athlete's manager, um, agent, um, production partner and so forth, just talking through, you know, this is, they were getting more and more candid. We, we think we can leverage this opportunity from a content perspective to build a business. Let's talk through what you did to build this business, what you've seen other athletes do and how you see it evolving. And I think, I think it was just there again, there was no like holding back. It was just, this is what we found successful. If I were to look into your organization and look at where you have competitive advantages, this is where I see some of that coming together. This is where I would lean in. Here's when I think about capital, like that, that sort of, um, openness, I think. And, and again, not, not trying to tell people what to do, right. Cause you don't want to be in that position. You don't want, you don't want anyone ever feel like you're, 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 um, preaching or you're, but just reflecting on my own experiences and just what worked for us and why. I think, um, and it's getting really deep, um, and trying to make it as tangible as possible help. I, I love that answer. Like, I, I feel like you're like earning trusted advisor status of like being generous and being helpful for things you're not getting paid yeah. for. Like people don't forget people that. Don't forget that. That's right. And, and I think, you know, the other thing is these man, to, that's what they've dealt with a lot of them, especially at the professional organizations, the managers and agents, they, they've had to earn their keep by doing that with their clients for years. And I think they find a kinship in some of that as well. And that's true, you know, whether you were talking about like if your listeners are, are talking about real estate or B2B software sales or whatever, right? That, I mean, these are things that um, those principles, I think, apply, which is just, you know, finding a way to build a real tangible relationship and finding a way to add value to that person's life outside of maybe the transaction. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, well, I, I'm interested um, for people who don't get to do what you do all day. What, what's in the future? What, what's coming down the line that not everybody sees yet? Yeah. So, so for us, like the industry is interesting. The industry is very different than it's been, um, say a few decades ago. It's, it's, um, the, the rise of streamers. So the Netflix, the Hulu's, the, uh, Disney plus of the world and so forth and, and globally, right. It's not just in the U S has, has, as many of you know, changed the dynamic, how people watch, what people watch and so forth. That's given a rise in a lot of new ways to unscripted television. So there was always like Pawn Stars and other shows around, but now the Last Dance or Tiger King or the shows we've done, Man of the Arena and others have have taken up a lot of both um, that that streaming time and um, and audience share, and so it's created a huge opportunity for us. So um, while the customer list is that it's, it's finite. Um, the opportunities that the amount of white space there is, is, is growing. And the other thing that people are finding is if you just do the math and say, to keep a subscriber on board, to either add one or keep one on board, 
the unscripted dollar, the documentary dollar versus the scripted film, the feature film um, dollar it, uh, is much lower. So, so, so we can we can deliver a product to to get customers um, uh, what they need at a lower cost. So for us, that's the opportunity. And so if you think about that opportunity over the next few years, it's about how do we bring aboard as many great creatives as possible? How do we find the stories that people haven't looked at before? How do we connect that to audiences that our customers are looking to, to light up? How do we think about that globally? How do we potentially acquire companies that, that bring that scale um, and keep our brand relevant? That's kind of the stuff that is, is my day job now. Which is fun. Well, I, I want to talk about that question. You know, there can be such a war for talent, especially the best talent. You know, uh, I read uh, the Netflix book for Reed Hastings, No, no Rules Rules. And then I re read Powerful by, uh, you know, his head of HR, head of people. And then I went back and read No Rules Rules. You know, I'm like, and, uh, you know, like when you've got folks like that in the same world as you who are willing to pay what it takes to get somebody who, who can get nominated for an Oscar, right? Like they're like, they take that kind of pro athlete approach to let's get the right person for this season and let's pay what it's going to take. Um, what do you feel like has been effective knowing there's competition like that out there for top talent? What's been effective for you to get just those premium storytellers to, to want to choose It's interesting. You? It's a great question. I, I liken it a little bit to, um, to the technology business, which is, if you're early in 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 um, in tech and you're building a company and you're and you're a unicorn or you're growing really fast, you still have a quandary of like, how the heck do I get engineers that would get X amount of money from Amazon, Google, and so forth? And so I think in their instance and in ours, what you lean into is culture and you lean into autonomy and you lean into dynamism and you lean into this is the t you are building something, and that became more of like a a sales pitch and a vision early, but now it's a lot more tangible. Now it's a lot more like, here are the 15 things you can plug into. And it, you know, for some of the people you're describing the best ones, like you pick and choose. There's someone we're hiring that uh, we're bringing aboard to drive a lot of our graphics work. And for her, it's sort of like, there's a playground. We want to do more graphics work on almost everything. What do you want to do? Who do you want to have aboard? How do you, and like, she can't find that opportunity. You could find an opportunity where you could do the same type of work and maybe even um, the same scale of work at Netflix or somewhere like that, or, or, or at, at a bigger company that's one of our competitors or something, but you can't find the ability to grow it. And again, going back to what our core is, it goes back to the core creative, right? Create, you can't find it in a creative friendly place or as friendly place. And that's what we would distinguish around. And so I think, uh, I think even expanding it outside of our company into others, I think the big part to me is just being able to be really clear about what your advantage is in the market and, and then being able to sell that internally and, and then at the recruiting. So I took the really traditional route to investment making. I'm an art school dropout. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and I got, I got headhunted because I was an entrepreneur. They're trying to get more entrepreneur clients. I'm like, Hey, this kid could probably talk entrepreneurs into letting us sell their companies. But, uh, I'm really interested in the potential tug of war between creativity, creatives and autonomy and accountability and performance. And so this idea of like, we have deadlines, we have budgets, we need to perform. There needs to be like a certain standard that we achieve. And like, you know, all my friends that were like 
skaters and artists and snowboarders, like we didn't want to sit at desks and we, we didn't really, uh, we weren't very good at, at conformity, right? And so my question for you is, when you think about this, attracting top talent with autonomy and balancing it with accountability that the business needs, how do you navigate? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you're getting the heart of my job and some of the biggest issues we face for positive reasons a lot of times, but you're exactly right. I mean, we, we so I don't know if you've read um, Creativity Inc., which is the, the picture. Love it. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so look, that's a lot of what our team is reading. We have as many people as possible. The company read it. It's, it's what are the set of processes you can put in place where you have a culture that is creatively led and driven because that's where our secret sauce is and it can't go away, but still is commercial. And so the, the answers to those questions are you know, things like, it's not, it's not rocket science, but we're trying to set up our own ROS university now. How do you get people to understand? We have a creative quote unquote Bible, we call it written, where everybody reads and understands what does it mean for something to be an ROS piece of content. We also have super clear, um, uh, like a lot of transparency around revenue goals, um, margin goals. Uh, whenever there's a project that's licensed or sold to a customer, uh, these guys who've been in the business for 20, a lot of them 20 years plus, know that there is a budget, there is a schedule and you need to execute against that. Um, it doesn't mean you always hit it, but there's, I think it's this balance of like, here's the sauce that makes everything excellent that we want to power you need to ask for how do you do more and more of it. And then here's this version of transparency around, this is just the stuff that everybody, if you want to be part of this company, has to go do. And then you kind of leave it to people to kind of come up to the place where there is that conflict and then deal with what happens. But the goal is to not have complete, uh, uh, complete shock when, when expectations and reality are off. Where are you based? How many staff do you have? And what percentage are in-person Yeah, so we remote? are based, the company's based in Santa Monica. Um, we have about, I think, 40 or so full-time now. Um, when we have these productions that happen, uh, meaning uh, uh, the 15 I mentioned, unscripted ones, there's some freelancers across. So maybe there's another somewhere between 40 and 60 um, freelancers that are working on those productions with us right now. So we probably have 80 to 100 people at any time working on projects. Um, of that, the, of the 40, two thirds are um, in LA, one third is remote. Um, and then of the freelancers, the majority are, are, are in LA to be part of kind of teams as they spool up and edit phase and so forth. You have accomplished a lot more than, uh, than most entrepreneurs in this country uh, from a statistical standpoint. You know, what do you, what do you attribute your success to? What do you think you've done differently? I think it's a lot of what we've talked about when it comes to, when it comes to, um, you know, Gotham and I talked about from the beginning, um, let's not try to catch the latest trend and let's, and, and, and maybe in some cases, if we think that it's aligned with our competitive advantage, you know, zag when others are zigging, you know, early on, for example, I don't know if you know the space uh, or, or following the space then or remember, but in 16, 17, a lot of companies were still raising a lot of capital to, to uh, set up um, OTTs, so over-the-top platforms, and create tons and tons of content and go direct to consumers. And it became a thing that came up from a lot of investors, which was around, have these big names, you guys create a lot of content. You can create a lot of enterprise value if you create one of these things. And that would have you know, X, 10, 20, 50 million dollars in technical spend. And then on top of that, scaling and doing a lot of our own content spend. And we 
quickly thought about it said, well, we could raise more money faster and, and move. It's just what well, didn't feel like the right thing for us. And you know, if you look over the last five years, none of the very few of those have been successful. And it's been because we got into this point where we were saturated. And then the monopolies, the Netflixes, the Amazons that just had so much capital became the only place people, I mean, how many options do you have right now to watch TV or streaming, right? It feels like it's endless and you want to, you want to reduce places you're paying for the month, uh, monthly fee, not add. So, so I think those are the things that I think it's just like leaning in, being really focused on on what you're delivering to the market and why, where your competitive advantage is, and then trying to, while being opportunistic, uh, stay as laser focused on achieving that goal as possible, even if there's things that are out there that feel like they're um, shiny objects along the way. Thinking about that right there, I'm interested in your decision tree because there are opportunities, right? And if you just stay the course forever, we'd all still be on three channel television or something, right? And so I'm interested for you, like, <clears throat> what does that look like? Deciding, like, is this the right opportunity for us or should we stay the course? Like, what, what does that debate look like in your mind? Yeah, look, I mean, I'll tell you also, we tested a lot of things. We failed many times and we haven't talked that much on this podcast around failures, but we've had lots of failures. I'm happy to share, but, we, you know, we, we've had, we thought we could lean because of the co-founders and because of what we were building a lot more in social media, for example. And we thought... It would be easy for us to scale and build our social presence a lot faster. And for many reasons, it hasn't worked, but we tested it. We hired a small team. We still have a small team around it, but we moved away from saying, hey, this is something. I mean, you could suck up millions of dollars and a bulk of our time. Um, but I think it's mainly setting up the infrastructure for that test and then understanding that even though we try a few things, it's not seeming to work having a hypothesis of why it's not working and then making a decision that, you know what, it didn't work. And so we're not going to continue to spend more time and energy on it. Um, and then, you know, uh, conversely, I think there's some things that have worked really well for us on extending unscripted into other formats, for example, that are shorter form or so for animation work or trying things internationally that have, and then we invest more in them. And so I think that's been, that's been the, maybe the answer to your question, which is, you can't, to your point, you can't have blinders on. You have to have, both have a vision. You have to be willing to test things. But I think, I think being willing to let go um, when things don't work and being at a company also that has a culture that's like, open to that. I think one of the other things that, um, that is both appealing to people but also can be nerve-wracking startups that are growing quickly is yeah, the pace of decision-making and the pace sometimes of cutting off things. And I've had commentaries and negative feedback from team, to team members saying we shift sometimes too fast. But I think it's also very intentional. It's because if we don't, then we can get into a rut of focusing on something that we know is not working. And then that could detract value from the overall. I think that you are more humble CEO than, than maybe some <laughs> of the folks I've had on the show. Okay. okay. And it's interesting, especially because you're in such a high profile space with such high profile partners. And like, it's pretty obvious that you don't walk around like you're a big deal. And so I'm interested, like you're, you're very thoughtful and intentional about what you do. You, this is, this is my like okay. assessment okay. <laughs> yeah. of the short time we've yes. known each other. Okay. <laughs> but you appear to be very thoughtful and intentional about what you do. Um, you're confident enough to take action without being arrogant of like, don't you know how big a deal I am? Haven't, don't you know who my co-founders are? Haven't you seen 
that we won five Emmys and work with the biggest names in the sports world. And um, I'm interested for you, um, any of just your personal philosophies or um, how you how you tamp down any uh, temptations to to feel like you're a big deal or um, those yeah, kind of things. It's philosophical. Uh, Jess, because I feel like, you know, maybe you're the same way in some of these dimensions. But I I, I, I think that, um, you know, confidence is critical. Con uh, Tom Brady says, um, <laughs> one of you know, some of the phrases he uses, and, and Michael uses it just to stick with you, and says, you know, if you're explaining, you're losing. So it's in a way, you know, I, I never want to be, I want to be confident enough to say, this is what happened and why it happened, and that's it, uh, sort of thing. If this, is the eight, this is the decision we took and why and 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 then whether it worked or not it, it is what it is so i, I want to balance that dynamic and what i think is important in the boardroom and with uh customers and in other contexts with kind of that earlier point of like relationship built I, I think that that if you're not relatable if you're not able to um translate your experiences translate uh what you've built to someone and it could be a junior employee or it could be uh, a new hire it could be um, someone looking for advice. It could be could be a junior person on the customer side. It's a lot of times too we're, we're getting these conversations, and uh, then then you're 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 losing something, and you're losing something either in terms of an opportunity to give back, or you're losing something in terms of something that's long term, you know, enterprise value. So I I I keep those two sort of dynamics in mind. One of the other things back in BCG days we'd always talk about is nobody nobody is nobody's perfect and everyone always fights in a good way and a bad way in one dimension or another right so your point of like and there's also also this line that's one of his partners drew for me one time which was great which was like he might have seen this in the past like two to two x and y axis of like confidence and capability so one dimension is confidence the other dimension is capability and you'll find some people who are way off in one dimension or the other where you're you either have someone who's like like there's extreme confidence without having any substance there and then that comes across as real arrogance, or you'll find someone who has, you know, real capability, but doesn't speak up, doesn't actually have the ability to articulate that. And I think, you know, saying what I said earlier in a different way, it's like finding a way to be on that line um, in, in a way that feels balanced, I think is important from a long-term relationship perspective. Okay. So I'm going to ask the same question in reverse then. So, well, first uh, I want to cut this for social media. Can you give us the Tom Brady quote again and why it matters to you? Okay. Uh, yeah. Tom, Tom, Tom Brady always says, uh, if you're, if you're explaining, you're losing. And the reason it's important to me is there's this version of you're confident, you have to be decisive and then you got to live with those decisions and whether or not they worked is sort of a byproduct of, did you make the right call, but also circumstances outside of your control and you don't need to kind of reverse explain, you know, why it worked or why it didn't work. I, so I spent about eight years, eight years in Southern California and, and you know, have a number of friends in entertainment business and stuff. Um, and uh, so I guess my next question is actually going the other direction. You know, when you're in a room full of big personalities and people who might have high opinions of themselves or, or things like that, um, how do you choose when to speak up and when to like, or, or earlier in your career, how did you, how did you get to the point where saying like, even if I'm not the most famous person in the room, I, I think I have something to contribute here and I'm not. Yeah. Well, now, it now it's easy because I think it's, it's always, it's always driven on, on what, when like the meeting isn't 
what, what I figured out earlier in my career is like the meeting is not about the meeting. The meeting is about making progress and move, moving this thing along or whatever it is. And so if there's a version of, of that actually happening, then you staying quiet is counterproductive to the overall, to the overall dynamic. So you got to find a way to influence things. And then I think the next step now is, is not just that it's about how do you manage the room as well, right? It's a lot of it is, is, um, it doesn't matter how high profile you are or how senior you are. If you're, even if you're a CEO, we have, uh, Sherry Redstone's on our board. Who's the, um, who is the, uh, uh chairwoman of, of Viacom and has been, you know, in a position of power in every setting, but when she walks to our boardroom, she's a board member, a board observer. And so she's not looking to lead the room. You need, I need to lead that room. And so if I'm not doing that, then I'm, I'm, I'm putting the, everybody else is kind of staring at everyone else saying, who's doing this. And so, you know, you've got to figure out your role and figure out a way to, to be in that position. So I, th- I think it depends a little bit on role and, and, and then, and then, you know, again, with that objective of saying, you've got to advance the ball for the meeting. What's for it? P.S. I'm such a big fan of that family. Her, her dad, before he passed away, uh, 10 years ago, he gave our charity child rescue a oh, million and a half dollars. Amazing. That's to great. combat child trafficking. That like ran our charity for like Amazing. seven years. It was like, yeah, we, we owe that family so much. They did awesome. so much to help these kids. That's great. Um, listen, where are the best places for people to connect with you online, to to check out the docs and the podcast? Yeah, so religionsports.com is is our website and, and some variation of that on every social media platform. We promote, we talk about our docs, we talk about our new projects. We talk about, you know, we have a podcast now called In the Moment, which uh, David Green, who used to be at NPR, uh, talks to athletes weekly about what was the moment that shaped them um, on the field, off the field, whatever, and then expands the life lessons and learnings from that, which has been really, really great. Um, so that's that's out there. And we'll talk a lot. We talk about that on, on social as well. And so that's that's the main place. That's the, that's the main place to find us. And then uh, people who want to follow you and want to see what you're up to, is LinkedIn the best place or where, where's the best place to connect with you? LinkedIn is probably where I do put a lot of posts out there. And then, you know, personally on Instagram at Amit Sank or Amit Sank on Twitter, but, but mainly LinkedIn and, and uh, uh, for all the projects we have coming and we'll have a lot more to announce here in the, in the months ahead. Okay. Well, listen, um, we'll, we'll end off on this. Anything you want. What did we not cover that we should have? Man, you you did a great job. Yes, we, we went pretty comprehensively here. Uh, I think I think you know just for, for your audience, it's 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 a lot of it is is um, you know what I'd like to impart is 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 that this is about um, you know we talked about it, but long term, it's about it's about how do you how do you build something that um, creates and and you know there's a million fires today if I look at the calendar or or or, or all week, but you know then if Again, going back to maybe a Tom Brady quote, he says at the beginning, "Man in the arena." Um, I took, you know, every step, and I'm just uh, like, "What a slog!" But then you look back over 20 years and say, "Wow, how much progress happened!" And I think, you know, we think about the business in a similar way. So encourage others to to do their best to do the same as I do as well. Yeah, it's a great place to end. Well, thanks for doing this. Thank you. Really appreciate it. <laughs> Bye, everyone.